So why is it then they call the day that Jesus was crucified Good Friday? Why is that? Of course, this has been of a, a point of controversy throughout Christianity for decades and hundreds of years, but we know that it was obviously a horrific event. If you've uh, never looked anything up about the actual crucifixion and what took place on that day, it is horrific what happened to Jesus on that cross that day. It was just absolutely horrific. The Bible says that his visage... His appearance was so marred that he didn't even appear to be a man anymore. I mean, he was bruised. He was beaten. He was literally bruised and just became one great big bruise. And he did it for you and I. Nailed to the cross, left to die. But Jesus was innocent of any crime. Innocent of any crime. From a human standpoint, he did not deserve to die. But I believe this, that one of the major reasons why it's called Good Friday is because of all the good that was accomplished in that one single day. Theologians call it the great exchange. The cross of Christ, Billy Graham said, I see three things. He said, first, I see a description of the depth of man's sin. Secondly, I see the overwhelming love of God. And third, he says, I see the only way of salvation. We in this, not, we in this room are not deceived by other ways, for there is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, another person goes on to say this, either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, or it is lying on Christ. This is Martin Luther from 1530. Lying on your shoulders or it's lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it's lying on your back, you're lost. But if it's resting on Christ, you are free and you will be saved. Now, choose what you want. Amen? I believe I'm looking at a room full of people who have already chosen. So let's talk a little bit tonight about some of the exchanges that took place. From 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, the scripture says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Many people will look at the verse and they'll say, Well, what about the resurrection? Shouldn't that be our primary focus? I submit to you tonight, without the cross, there could be no resurrection. And on Easter morning, we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are going to have a Holy Ghost time. But literally, there's the no joy of Easter Sunday without the sorrow of Good Friday. So Jesus' death and resurrection represents God's victorious checkmate on Satan. 
in a cosmic chess match that had been thousands of years in the plane. At Calvary, at the cross, we are offered an opportunity to make an extraordinary set of exchanges. Let's talk about some of them tonight. So if you would open your Bibles to the second Corinthians chapter five and verse 21, and we'll pray. And uh, I'm not going to preach all night because we want to take time to have communion tonight and to honor the Lord and remember his work. Amen. That he has done for us. In 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and the 21st verse, it says, For he, that's speaking of God the Father, has made him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, who committed no sin. He was made sin in order that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so when we look back and we approach the cross, we found an offer that is awaiting us. There was a perfectly righteous man hanging on the cross, willing to make an exchange with us. He's saying to mankind today, all over the world, give me your sinfulness and I will give you my righteousness. And we all know that righteousness means right standing with God. To be able to approach the throne of grace without a sense of guilt or condemnation or inferiority. To come into the presence of a holy God just as if sin never existed before. Billy Graham said this, and I quote, On the cross, he was made sin. He was God forsaken because he knew no sin. There is a, he, 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 because he knew no sin, there is a value beyond comprehension in the penalty he bore, a penalty that he did not need for himself. How it was accomplished in the depth of darkness, man will never know. But I know one thing. He bore my sins in his body on the tree. He hung where I should have hung. The pains of hell were my portion, that were my portion, were heaped on him. And I'm able to go to heaven and merit that which is not my own, but it is his by giving us that right. Oh, thank God. Can you lift your hands? And thank God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, it drives this point home even stronger. In verse 24 through 26, he says, Being justified or declared righteous, how? Freely. This was the free gift. Freely, by His grace, through the redemption that is found only in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, let's read it together. Ready, read. 
whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Amen. Now I want you, I want to refer briefly again to verse 25. And this little phrase here, it is through faith in His blood. How many of you have had faith in the shed blood of Jesus? Oh, thank God. Another quote I want to give to you from Mark Hankins. I love this. He said this. He said, only the blood of Jesus has the power to free you from the worst blows dealt to you in life. And bring such healing that even your memory is freed from the thought of them. Isn't that good news? Oh, glory to God. The blood, the eternally redemption that was bought and paid for you can purge your conscience from dead works so you can serve the living God. Hallelujah. He hung on that cross for us. And here's another quote from Sam Rodriguez. He said this. He said, When He first breathed into us in Genesis... He gave us life. But when He released His last breath for us on the cross, He gave us eternal life. Hallelujah. I think we ought to raise our hands again. Thank God for eternal life. The life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. I've come that you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. For as the Father had life in Himself, so has He given the Son to have life in Himself. And He came to give you the life of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've got the life of God in me. You've got the life of God in you. You've got His life, His nature, and His ability. You've got the life of God in you. So this glorious exchange. Another exchange we could talk about tonight in great lengths, which we will not. Jesus took our brokenness and gave us His healing. When we came to Him, we were broken. Sin breaks people down. The degree... And level of brokenness is immaterial. Sin is sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When broken people come to Calvary and they look at Jesus, the substitute, from that flows healing, from that flows wholeness into our lives. I think we should look at Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. What do you think? Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5 says, He is despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. That word sorrows there literally means pains. 
He was acquainted with grief, that sickness and disease. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4. But oh, surely, you can't get any more positive than that word, surely. It is a fact. Surely, he hath, past tense, bore our griefs, our sicknesses, and carried our sorrows, our pains. Oh, hallelujah. He bore our brokenness and made his wholeness available to us. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Next verse. But he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, in other words, the punishment needful to obtain peace for us was upon him. And with his stripes, with his stripes... We are healed. And so at the cross is the place of the great exchange. People can lay down their brokenness and receive his wholeness. At the cross, he became a curse so that you and I could be blessed. Look at Galatians, the third chapter. And notice with me in verse 13. You see, the first Adam let this curse loose in the world. But at the cross, the last Adam established the legal framework for turning blessing loose into our lives. Notice this with me. Christ purchased our freedom redeeming us from the curse the doom of the law what did the curse contain the curse contained all sorts of bad things one of which is poverty one is which is sickness and disease and one is which is sin but Christ purchased our freedom redeeming us from the curse the doom of the law and its condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. I pray that that sinks down deep into our hearts tonight. He became a curse for us. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is every one who hangs on a tree and is crucified. Now notice here in verse 14. Did you wear your shouting clothes tonight? Notice in the 14th verse of Galatians chapter 3. To the end, in other words, for this purpose, that through their receiving Christ, Jesus, that's you and I, that the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon our lives So that we through faith might all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit. He was cursed so you could be blessed. And so I think it's a good thing for us to rehearse the fact 
that we are the blessed of the Lord. That we are blessed coming in. And we're blessed going out. We're blessed in the city. And we're blessed in the field. For me to say that I'm poor is tantamount for me to curse. I am not going to curse. I'm not going to belittle the work of Calvary by walking around talking about how poor I am, how sick I am, how depressed I am. All those things are a curse. And Jesus became all of those things so that we would not have to participate in any of them. Regardless of how you may feel, regardless of how your checkbook may look, regardless of how your body may feel, never open your mouth and say anything contrary to the blessing in your life. Let us not insult God by words of doubt and unbelief, but let us raise a hallelujah. I said, let us raise a hallelujah. In the middle of the storm, even in the middle of the night, let us raise a hallelujah and thank God that we are a people that are redeemed from the curse of the law. (laughs) Glory. And so these things are those things that we should remind ourselves of on a continual basis. Think about it just for a moment. He was made sick. That you could be healed. He became depressed so that you could have the oil of joy. He became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. He went down so that you could go up. Thank God he didn't stay down. I said he didn't stay down. He got up. He got up. And he wants to get in. He wants to get in to every crevice, every area of our lives. Amen? Amen. And so I want to take just a few more moments tonight before we have communion and talk about this glorious exchange. We read it in Isaiah. He was rejected. But this exchange is this. He took our rejection and gave us His acceptance. I'm going to say it again. He took our rejection and gave us His acceptance. In Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, I just dropped by to tell you tonight that you are in Christ. And Christ is in you. And he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And as he is, so are we in this world. We are in Christ. We're not trying to get in. We're in. How many of you are all in? In him. In Christ. In whom we have redemption. But now, I love it how it says this. But right now, right now. In Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, oh, thank God, were made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so at Calvary, Jesus took our rejection, 
our alienation from God. We were far from God, and He took it upon Himself. In exchange, what He offers is complete and utter acceptance by the Father that was uniquely His. Your alienation, your rejection was nailed to the cross of Calvary. Colossians bears this out in chapter 1 and verse 21 and 22. He says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, we all qualified for that. Yet now he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. Are you kidding me? and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Say it with me. I'm holy. I'm unblameable. I'm unreprovable in His sight. That's the way your Father sees you. He sees you through Jesus. When Jesus died... The Father saw us die. When Jesus was buried, the Father saw us buried. When Jesus rose, the Father sees us alive from the dead. These are identification truths that are so very important. You see, Jesus Christ, He is literally the stone which the builders rejected. And I think Peter says this so beautifully that as we just unpack this for a few moments tonight, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but thank God we have now obtained mercy. We're a chosen people, which says we are completely accepted. He suffered our deep rejection so that we could enjoy his acceptance. Paul, right into the church at Ephesus, brings it out beautifully. He said it this way, To the praise of His glory, of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. I'm not looking at a bunch of rejected people. I'm looking at a group of accepted in Christ Jesus. And this is what the world needs to hear. They need to hear how much God loves them. And how that Keith Hershey says, God is not mad at them, but God is mad about them. So many people spend much of their lives trying to accept, are trying to earn acceptance from peers and parents and from those we respect. But you've been chosen by God Himself. We literally were chosen before the foundation of the world. Think about that. 
He says, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Say with me, I'm accepted. But also, when we look at Peter, we find that we're a holy people, we're a holy nation, and that God the Father calls us His own very special people, a people belonging to God. And what that means is you and I are extremely valuable to Him. Not just acceptable, but you and I in Christ are priceless because the price was the precious blood of Jesus. What is it that makes something valuable? Value depends on who owns it. If you go to an auction... Things by celebrities normally cost more. A car owned by Elvis is going to be more than my car. A bed used by President Lincoln is going to be a whole lot more worth than your bed. Are you listening to me? What am I saying? The owner often adds value to common things. You belong to the Father. You are a people holy to the Lord. We are His treasured possession. There's no one that values us more than God. And why is that? Why are we so extremely valuable? Because of Calvary. Because of the cross. When He hung on the cross, we may wonder, how much, Jesus, do you love us this much? with nails piercing through his hands and his feet, with blood streaming from his brow. I love you this much. I bought you with a price. You know, value is dependent on what someone is willing to pay for it. How much is your house worth? I'll tell you what it's worth. It's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. How much is a baseball card of Mickey Mantle worth? Well, it's worth a lot. But normally it's worth what people are willing to pay for it. How much are you worth? We look at the cross. The greatest ransom ever paid was for you by Jesus. Say it with me real strong. God exchanged His own Son. And Christ gave his life for me. Can you smile about that? The cross proves your value. The people in our lives that told us we weren't going to make it, they're dead wrong. We made it because he made a way for us. The people that told us we were worthless are dead wrong. Because we are eternally loved by love himself. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. God is not ashamed to call us his sons and his brothers. I love how Jeremiah said it. He said, 
I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I am drawing you to myself. Two characteristics of God's love. Number one, it's unconditional. Aren't you glad? God doesn't ever say to us, I love you if. God says to us tonight, I love you because. I love you, period. God's love is consistent. It's not fickle. And you and I are totally forgiven. At one time, we knew nothing about mercy. But now we've received His mercy. Forgiveness. I, even I, am He that blotteth out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins anymore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, when some Christians have problems, they feel like, well, God's getting even with me. Does God really treat His kids that way? No, I find in Romans 8, 1, that there is now no condemnation to them which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians around 500 B.C. Perfected by the Romans in the days of Jesus and not outlawed until the Emperor Constantine who ruled Rome in the 4th century A.D. In the days of Jesus, crucifixion was reserved for the most horrendous criminals. Even the worst Romans were beheaded rather than crucified. The Jews also considered crucifixion as the most horrific mode of death. How did Jesus die? To ensure maximum suffering, scourging preceded crucifixion. Scourging itself was such a painful event that many people died from it without even making it to their cross. Hundreds of years before, the prophet Isaiah predicted the results of Jesus' scourging. And we could go on and we could read to you the whole crucifixion and the whole story and the horrors of it. But tonight, I want to center in on this fact that He went there for you. He suffered for me so that you and I could be made new creations in Christ. And I think in looking back at the cross and celebrating Good Friday on Wednesday night, I think it's time now to participate in some examination and some celebration and some remembrance on what He's done for us. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward. Thank you, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. As bad as that suffering was, it's like one man wrote and said this, but the physical suffering of Christ was not the real suffering. Many men before him had died, 
others had hung on a cross longer than he did. Many men had become martyrs. The awful suffering of Jesus was his spiritual death. He reached the final issue of sin, fathomed the deepest sorrow when he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was the proof. That Christ became sin for us. He had died physically. And with it he lost all sense of the Father's presence at that moment in time. On the cross he was made sin. He was God forsaken. Because he knew no sin. There's a value beyond comprehension in the penalty that he bore. The penalty that he did not need for himself. Billy Graham goes on to say this. How it was accomplished in the depths of the darkness, man will never know. I only know one thing. He bore my sins in his own body on the tree. And like we said earlier, he hung there so we would not have to.